Have you tried Music to Code by yet? Well, why not? Here's a comment Joe left on the website. This is also great music to mow by. I like listening to music while doing yard work to help the monotony of it seem less tedious. This past summer, I started listening to these tracks while doing yard work, and they worked great! I could let the music play in the background without focusing on it, and it seemed to help me concentrate on getting through my tasks. Thanks, Joe. And you know, now you can download the entire 13-track collection. That's over five and a half hours of music to code by for only 39 bucks. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. .NET Rocks, episode 1393, with guest Mads Christensen. Recorded Thursday, December 1st, 2016. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, I'm here in... Uh, beautiful new London, Connecticut, where it feels like summer all of a sudden. Weird. It's December 1st when we're mm -hmm. recording this, and I open up the door, and we just had some nasty rain, and we go outside, and it's like the sun's in my eyes. How does that happen? It's just weird. Strange weather, man. Strange weather. I suspect by the time the show gets published, you will be under two feet of snow. Probably. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's the MO around here. Yeah. <laughs> that's the MO, that's for yeah. sure. Hey, the sun's a shining. Why do you have that uh, snow shovel leaning up against yeah. your front porch? Get yeah, ready. Just wait a minute. Yeah. yeah, here it comes. All right, buddy. I got something fun for Better No Framework. So awesome. Roll the music. All right, dude, what do you got? Okay, so this is an InfoWorld article back from November 30th. Mm-hmm. Raspberry Pi 3 gets low bandwidth LTE with add-on chip. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, sort of like a Kindle with built-in bandwidth. Right. Low bandwidth LTE. So, uh, an Altair LTE Category 1 chipset will attach to the top of the Raspberry Pi 3 board for long-distance communication. Hmm. How long is long? Well, so what it says is... Adding LTE capability uh, is an enabler for IoT applications. Mm -hmm. For example, users be able to use Raspberry Pi to remotely control industrial IoT equipment. The chip transfers data at 10 megabits per second. That's fast. Which is much slower than speeds of up to 600 megabits per second in the Samsung Galaxy S7 or Apple iPhone 7. IoT and smart devices typically require less bandwidth for communications, however, and that helps retain long device battery life. So... That's the story, is that it's great for IoT. Cool. And it's on a Raspberry Pi, and it's very cheap. 35 bucks. That's hard to be upset about that. Hard to be upset. There you go. Yep. Nice one. So I thought that'd be good. Uh, who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off show 1107, the one we did back in 2015 with Mads. Yeah. We were talking about all the cool stuff and web essentials and so on. Lots of comments on that show. And basically, considers that the, you know, Discuss considered that two years ago now. So that's too long. We should have mm. had a show sooner. Yeah. 
But uh, I love this comment because it's uh, somewhat precognitive and amusing and stimulates conversation in my mind. This is from AJ Kerrigan, who says, another great show, guys. I love it when Mads is on. His workflow seems like the ideal one I have in my dreams. Try a bunch of different stuff out, toss out what doesn't work, and pass along a beautiful pile of what's left. (laughs) On a semi-related note, I just saw that Angular 2 is going to be built on top of TypeScript instead of the original script, which really has me confused and nervous. Hmm. Microsoft keeps making announcements that seem almost like April Fool's Day jokes. I'm pretty sure that was a Google announcement, AJ. But (laughs) okay. And think about this. Angular 2 from Google is built on top of TypeScript from Microsoft with input from Yahoo Katz, who is associated with Ember.js. Yeah, it's all wonderful. Yeah. This is an unexpected and delicious chicken pot pie of collaboration. Absolutely. Is that really a metaphor? I don't think that's a metaphor. It is now. No. Chicken pot pie of collaboration. Mm. I don't don't think that's going to work. I just want to know who's the chicken, who's the peas. Yes. And who's the potatoes. (laughs) Who's the potatoes. (laughs) What a fantastic time to be a dev. ASP.NET's evolution is just another wonderful thing to watch. Just keep on spoiling us. Yeah. Absolutely, AJ. And obviously, all of these things have come to pass two years later that we really do have Angular 2 built on TypeScript and everybody's living happily ever after and cool things are being made. And uh, in the further of keeping on spoiling you, a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And you can definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. But I'm dumb. <laughs> All right. Let's bring back Mads Christensen. He is a senior program manager on the web platforms and tools team at Microsoft, working on the web developer experience of Visual Studio. He has over a decade of experience in developing web applications on the Microsoft platform, which got him the honor of becoming both an ASP.NET MVP and ASP Insider. And Mads is also the creator of blogengine.net, web developer checklist and web essentials, image optimizer, and voice commands for Visual Studio. Just a big pile of awesome he is. Welcome back, Mads. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. It, it is kind of a strange world that we live in now where, you know, TypeScript can be used to build Angular. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. I like it. Yeah, it sure is great. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, TypeScript is just a great tool. Yeah, you can use TypeScript for everything. That's right. Yeah. And uh, I think that for a lot of uh, for a lot of people that don't like the uh, dynamic nature of like vanilla JavaScript, right? TypeScript is uh, a very very nice thing. So uh, I, I'm I'm very happy that uh, that we have that option for people that uh, prefer that over JavaScript. Yeah, I kind of like to know my code's going to blow up before I press the run button. Nice. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. The compiler is the first unit test, right? Yeah, it sure is. Well, it, or at least it should be, or it could be, and I guess that's what uh, TypeScript really brings to the table, right? Is that now you have that same effect in a JavaScript world? Yeah, yeah, very cool. And we just released uh, Visual Studio 2017 RC. Yes, and it has uh, Chrome debugging for JavaScript. What? So that's kind of cool. Yes. So when you're, uh, you know, when you're working on your ASP.NET project, and you hit F5, and you launch Chrome. Uh, you can now set breakpoint in your JavaScript code, hmm. but it gets better because if you use TypeScript and you have source maps, you can also set breakpoints directly in your TypeScript files and you get the full debugging experience that you're used to from C sharp. So now you can, uh, debug 
both the server and the client side in the same app or in the same solution. It could be multiple projects you spin up, right? Um, all within the same uh, IDE. Very, very uh, cool. That's amazing. So, And of course, we just coming out of Connect just a few weeks ago where you guys uh, released Visual Studio 2016 RC. Uh-huh. So not, not final just yet. But uh, nope. is there going to be a new Web Essentials to go with 2017? No, there will not. Really? That is very deliberate. Yes, really. So um, Web Essentials has existed now since Visual Studio 2010, Service Pack 1. Yep. Um, that that particular one for, for Visual Studio 2010 hmm. didn't have a lot of uh, traction. It was, it was sort of late and it didn't have as many features. But then obviously in 2012... I think it's like 1.4 million downloads for that version alone. Yeah. So yeah. obviously it was a big decision to figure out or to, to not continue this. And um, it was not one that I made lightly, but it was one that I had to make. It had to be this way. And um, over a year ago, or for more than a year, I've been working on creating extensions for the individual features that was in Web Essential. Okay. Okay, so... For instance, Web Essentials had a Markdown editor. Right. I have now pulled that out of Web Essentials and created a standalone extension called Markdown Editor. Right. And that is much, much better than it was in Web Essentials. It's much more focused, obviously, because it's only dealing with Markdown. Right. Uh, it's, e- it's easier for the community to contribute either to open bugs or send pull requests because the code base is smaller and it's more focused. So those were some of the uh, reasons, actually, why Web Essentials um, was problematic. It, it was too big. It was too monolithic. So um, I hardly got any um, uh, community uh, involvement because it was just it was just too massive. Uh, it was too difficult. Mm-hmm. So um, that was one big reason for doing it. Another big reason was because Web Essentials was so huge, it had features for more or less everything you can imagine. Yeah. So if there was a bug somewhere in one corner of Web Essentials. It could crash when you did something completely unrelated to that. Maybe right. you never actually used the feature that crashed for some reason right. that made Visual Studio crash, right? Or some error happened. And so it was kind of problematic that you would have people uninstalling Web Essentials because of a bug that was introduced in an area they didn't care about. Right. And so that was another very big um, reason for me to pull it out. So I think uh, the result is that you're ha- you have the exact same features in 2017, um, having all these small little extensions, uh, but you're going to have much better performance. You're going to have much better quality uh, because of it. And so, as I said, I spent over a year, and uh, all these smaller extensions have gone through a lot of iterations. So they're not uh, just like thrown together real quickly. They're they're really thought out, and a lot mm. of them are actually uh, completely rewritten from scratch. I'm not even looking at the old code. Yeah. Um, because I get smarter over time too, right? I, I, I know <laughs> just like everyone, you know, you look at your code from five years ago and you're like, Oh my God, did I really write that? What was and, I thinking? <laughs> so is yeah. the, is the new code that's in 2017 more granular than it was in web essentials? In other words, is it uh, uh, feature isolated? Yes. Yeah. It definitely is. And yeah. so what I have instead, and I introduced this actually for 2000, 15, because that's when I started pulling uh, things out of Web Essentials into their own extensions, was that introduced the problem of, well, what extensions should the user then install? You Mm. were used to just installing Web Essentials, and it would have everything. Right. But now that there are 20 different extensions, which one do you get? Like, it's it's not 
uh, easy, I guess. And so I created this thing called Web Extension Pack, which is basically a meta extension that just installs all the other extensions, <laughs> um, including Web Essentials, right, in, in the 2015 version of Web Extension Pack. And I just released, was it earlier this week or last week? This week, I think. I, I released Web Extension Pack 2017. There is some um, good stuff so, in there. I'm looking at it right now. Holy man. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Where do we start? I mean, maybe uh, just a, a bundler and minifier, just something that you don't have to go worry about now. It's right in the box. I like that. Right. Yeah, yeah. Web compiler, compiler with Sasco. Yeah. Image optimizer, sprites. What's that? Image sprites? So we can do animations? No, image sprites as in uh, in the in the web sense where you have okay. a big image that's that it contains a lot of small images. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sure. So you do that for optimization purposes. Yeah. Right. So I mean the and spriting images is a pain in the butt. Yeah, like, you, oh you should know, Richard. <laughs> yeah, we've done it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so here the the idea here is that people actually use there are node modules out there that people use. Mm -hmm. So for instance, a gulp task that will automatically produce image sprites. Um, the thing is, though, that that's a lot of tooling to bring in to do something that you don't have to maintain that often. Right. And so the way I've done it in mine is that you basically just dump a, a JSON file that has the file extension sprite.sprite, .sprite, and it automatically gets IntelliSense, so you can fill in, like, here are my source images, you know, and in the order you list them, that's the order they're going to be produced in the final output PNG or JPEG or whatever format you want to output and you can at any time just add another image to that, save the file, and automatically it will produce a new image. So the main, so it's so easy to maintain um, that it's really fantastic. And on top of that, if you have uh, the image optimizer installed as well, it will call the image optimizer to optimize the produced uh, sprite image. So it really is like the full uh, the full production ready tool for image spriting. Yeah, these are all the different pieces to, to getting this right. You can yeah. you can uh, optimize it and sprite it and then embed it in the in the, into your page. Yeah, right. And the, cool. and the ultimate manifestation of this, dude, I, and I, I don't know if I've ever really talked about this. We did, we did this a strange loop. It's like creating a landing page where there literally is no resource files, where the, all of the CSS is, is embedded in the page and all of the images are embedded in the page as sprites. And and so you literally you get just retrieve this huge unmaintainable page, but boy oh boy is it fast. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So one thing that I see as a very welcome addition to Visual Studio is the CSS tools. And for those who have tried to use CSS, and I say tried because nobody really likes using. <laughs> nice. Did you say that out loud? You can't say that out loud. Go on. Um, it, there's some pain there, but it, it's nice to see, you know, like when you pull up font family colon to actually see representations of the fonts that you're going to pick. Right. That's nice. Just like a color picker is nice. Yeah. And you can actually see a sample of the color in the picker itself. That's just those little nice things are what Visual Studio is all about. And I appreciate that, Mads. Yeah, so that's so you're picking an extension. That is my second newest one. I think I released this one Tuesday or Monday. Wow, wow! And this was the last piece. So there is the CSS tools and there are HTML tools. Those are two separate extensions, mm -hmm. and they were the last pieces of Web Essentials um, that I separated out so that they could you could still get those features. Very cool. Nice. Yeah. What's a uh, browser sync? 
<laughs> browser sync. That's a funny little thing that I demoed when we introduced browser link for Visual Studio at Build 2013. I wrote a, an extension because browser link is primarily an extensibility point. Right. So just to recap, browser link is a WebSocket connection hosted in Visual Studio that allows any browser to connect to Visual Studio. And now you have a WebSocket connection going back and forth, mm. right? Where we can, we can send any data each way. And there's an API, um, both on the JavaScript side that runs in the browser and in C sharp that runs as an extension inside Visual Studio that can communicate really easily. So instead of setting up a SignalR hub and doing your own messaging and handling and all that stuff, it's just done. It is actually SignalR under the hood. Yeah, I figured. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, to demonstrate this uh, communication channel, when we introduced BrowserLink in uh, 2013, I wrote a little extension that would automatically uh, synchronize scrolling. So let's say you're mm. testing your HPNet project in two browsers, IE and Chrome, let's say, yeah. right? And when you scroll in one, the other window scrolls as well. If you navigate, you know, click a link in one browser, you could synchronize so the other browsers would, would go to those pages as well. And if you type in a form field, the other browsers will have those uh, same form fields synchronized. Crazy. Um, and and I wrote that in 2013. And for some reason, I the code got away. I, I lost the code. No. And so I never released it. I never did anything. And then I think, yeah... Last year, I was like, okay, I need to do this now again. <laughs> and I did. And so that's what, so that is what browser sync is. It synchronizes your browsers that you're, uh, that you're currently testing your website in. That's awesome. It's just one of those small little things that are just really, really nice. It's like a very nice productivity enhancer. And I'm, I'm looking at the browser sync project right now and just noticed, uh, you updated that this morning. <laughs> Yeah, I did. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I know what you were doing before you stopped to talk to us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I've, I've been porting all my extensions or the one that makes sense over to right. 2017. And so that's uh, about 50 extensions. And oh, some wow. of them are a little problematic because APIs differ. Yeah. And so um, I have to like give it a, give it a try and see what happens. But I, my machine has both 2017. 15 and 2017. So I have all the types that are that exist in 2014, uh, sorry, 2015, even though I'm tested in 2017. So if I had a, a machine only with 2015, it might not work. But uh, but also the other way around, I have might have made some changes that make it install in 2017, but it actually broke the entire extension. Hmm. And that was like that was actually the case with browser sync. I broke it. And so this morning I fixed it. Along okay. with a couple of others, the fix was the same for for uh, both the browser sync and uh, the web accessibility checker and the reload browsers on save, which are both uh, all three are are browser link extensions. Now, here's another cool one that um, is getting a lot of a lot of uh, accolades is Markdown Editor. You oh, built yeah. a Markdown Editor that we can just drop into a website. Is that the story? No, no, no. This is you open a markdown file in Visual Studio. Oh, so you have, oh, a, you have a project. Oh, I get uh, it. Yeah. So the use case, the common use case is you have a, a readme.md file as part of your open source project. Sure. And instead of you having to jump into Markdown Pad or Rick Strahl's new Markdown Monster, mm -hmm. uh, wouldn't it be nice if you could just have a really, really good experience in Visual Studio in for Visual dealing Studio. with Markdown? 
the markdown. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's what that is. But it's really cool. It has a lot of, of very nice features. It has a live preview window that updates as you type and maintain scroll position. So when you scroll the source document, the preview scrolls along with it. Um, you can copy an image directly into Markdown and it will just save it and um, insert the right things. It has light bulbs for common scenarios. and It's just really full featured. I'm really proud of that one. Wow. It's cool, man. Uh, so, I mean, you were talking about 50 different features, but the the new bundler for 2017 has, I think, 20 listed. So what didn't make the cut? Um, the Only the ones that wasn't updated, that weren't updated. Well, okay, so let, there's, two, there's two things. <clears throat> it is web extension pack. That yeah, means right. it has to be something web-related. Yep. And right. that's almost true <laughs> for... <laughs> For web extension pack, there are some that are generic, such as add new file, yeah, uh, which is the best extension ever written. <laughs> um, okay, that what's be, that? What's that? It should so much be built into Visual Studio. It's it's as simple as Shift F two pops up a little dialog where you specify a file name, let's say foo.cs, and it will generate a C sharp file for you right there. So right. you don't have to go in through the add new item dialog. It's just a very, very fast way of adding files. And I it comes like with, it, it ha, it already has, um, ideas of what you want to do. So for instance, sure. If, if your file name is ifoo.cs, it's, oh, this is a interface. This is an interface. Yeah. Therefore, it gets you, it, it provides you the interface, uh, template. And so on. If it's a Bower JSON, it gives you the, the basics of that or package JSON. Like there are some known files where you know what the scaffold, the, the, the scaffolding should be, right? I love it. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and a really big one is if you, if you create a CMD file, for instance, mm -hmm. it does not create it with a bomb, the byte order mark. Uh, that's just one of those things that if you've ever tried in Visual Studio, you say add new item and you find the text template, but you change the name to be, you know, foo.cmd and you save it, you can't actually run that file because it has a byte order mark. It's a Unicode with a bomb. And so <laughs> with this extension, it knows that, okay, for CMD files, we should just save it as Unicode without a bomb. Mm. So, like, it's, you know, stuff like that. I bet the Visual Studio team loves you because this is, this is a reason to upgrade Visual Studio if you didn't have a reason already. Right. Yeah, this is great stuff. HTML tools, image huh? preview. Wow. Yeah, that's great, huh? So you hover over a URL to an image and it actually drops down the image, shows it to you. Right. That's just one thing. IntelliSense for meta tags. Good stuff. Yeah, I, I need to, uh, I need to expand on the, uh, on the uh, readme files for both HTML tools and CSS tools because there's a lot of stuff that are not called out in the like a lot of features that is not documented hmm, right for IntelliSense and validation and so on. Do you get many contributors to the GitHub projects? I get for some. For some, I get a lot, and for some, I get in, uh, zero. It, I think it depends on who the target audience is for some of right. these. Um, like I have the npm task runner, which. Just like Gulp and Grunt, NPM itself uh, can execute tasks or scripts, as it is, and you specify them in the package JSON file. So if you install the NPM task runner, it will expose uh, the scripts that you have defined in your package JSON file, mm -hmm. and you can execute them really easily. And that's one of those ex type of extensions that are on the critical path 
like if you have your scripts, you use them to build and to bundle and to minify and compile and all sorts of things with TypeScript and so on, uh, that they're a very, very integral part of your workflow. And so that's one of those extensions that have, that, that it's just on a critical path to a lot of people. So that gets a lot more contributors. And especially uh, Scott Addy, who's an MVP, uh, has been phenomenal in helping out with that. We now have Yarn support, for instance. He wrote that. Um, uh, Yarn is this new NPM client mm-hmm. um, that everyone uh, should be using. <laughs> if you listen to Hacker News or whatever, like everyone should be using that. It's it's the best. It's version zero point twelve or something, but you know it's it's the best. Right. And and it is great. It is great. So it's good that we have the support. Um, and so the community will come in and help with some of those things. But then you have some of the things that are more like maybe esoteric or, or stuff that you don't use that often, like image sprites. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not everyone that uses it. Uh, everyone would like to have the possibility of using it, but, you know, it works. And there's not really that much uh, new stuff you can add to it, right? It's kind of complete. And so that just by its nature doesn't um, get as many contributors. I think that's mm. very natural mm. for what it is. There's not much to add to it. It makes sprites. Like, it does its job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. What do you do when software is actually done? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's very much the case. If you, if you take something like the NPM task runner, right? New versions of Node and NPM comes out all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that one has to be sort of living. It has to evolve all the time, too. Um, the image sprites, not so much. So here's another one that is that falls into the general category: package installer. Uh huh. Yeah. So this is a hotkey, you know, based. I think it's what Shift Alt Zero or something. Quick yep. install package. It brings up a little dialog where you can drop down whether you want Bower, JSPM, NPM, NuGet, TSD, Typings, or Yarn, and uh, just type you know, start typing and what is it? Fill it in with IntelliSense and then gives you a list of versions. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's what I want. Wow. Right. That, and (laughs) the idea there is, I think a lot of my extensions are about productivity because there's nothing in that extension you can't do on your, like today. Right. Right. Sure. Takes less time. It makes it easier. If you know that you want jQuery with Bower, then you hit the keyboard shortcut and you just type, jQuery and enter and done, right? There, that's all there is to it. Awesome. And so it, it's not maybe so good if you want to discover, like search for discover what package should I use today? Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, then it might not be as good, but that's not the point of it. The point of it is if I know what I want, which I probably do like at least 80% of the case, right? Of the time, I know the name of the package I want to install. And so even though you can search, it doesn't kind of give you, um, it doesn't show you, well, how many downloads does this package have versus the other one. So you can't see those kind of things. But, you know, if you want Newtonsoft, JSON.net, you know, uh, which is probably the package you want anyway, you go for that one, right? It's, it's easy. So it just speeds everything up. And it so for NuGet, it just uses the Visual Studio APIs for NuGet. So it does the exact same thing as if you went into the package manager console and typed install package or you went to the UI the manage power, or sorry, manage NuGet packages and, you know, search for it there. It's the same thing that happens. Um, so it's kind of nice. Yeah. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to install package mads into Visual <laughs> Studio. 
<laughs> Evil genius. <laughs> <laughs> this is so cool. I can't wait to get started with this stuff. Uh, it's actually time to give away a Music to Code by complete collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Music to Code by, of course, is a set of 25-minute Pomodoro-sized quiet and groovy instrumentals that are scientifically designed to promote focus. They'll get you into a state of flow and keep you there. And .NET Rocks fans are being more productive with Music to Code by every day. And now you can download the entire 13-track collection for only 39 bucks. See what all the fuss is about. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Louise Parker. Congratulations, Louise. Yeah. Golf clap for you, miss. Fantastic. And Louise just won uh, Music to Code by. You know, this is one of those things that um, doesn't seem such a big deal on the the outside of it until you actually use it and you find the hours just fly by and then you're like, wow, this stuff is really amazing yeah what just happened right what just happened where am i yeah so if you don't know what we just did here go to netrocks.com click on the big get free stuff button answer a few questions and join the dotnet rocks fan club we have thousands of members all over the world in every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors and every december hmm wait a second December. Yeah, we just did this this year. We give away $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, but you got to sign up to win. And we just gave away this year's shopping spree to Brian Wilson from Newark, Ohio last Thursday. And that was on Jules Kramer's show from Google. So if you haven't heard that, you might want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Go back and listen. It'll be great. It'll be great. Yeah. Listen to the part where you didn't win. <laughs> and Mads, we like to ask our guests too if you had five thousand dollars to spend on technology today what would you buy oh this is the easiest uh to answer uh, uh -oh. surface studio i there knew you, you were gonna go. say that yeah. i knew it yeah and five thousand will give me the 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 big one the yeah <laughs> the one with yeah. everything that's what i want yeah and i think it's not as much a thing that i want as something i need you know i really need it <laughs> I don't know what I want to use it for, but like, I can't not just think of it every day and I want to touch it. I want to, yeah. you know, I, oh God. Yeah. Have you not good. had hands on one yet, dude? No, I have not. You've got to go wander over to that building and, and take it out for a spin. We, the RDs had access to one at the MVP summit and we all got to stroke its beautiful sides. Mm. It is yeah, a I, very well, I know pretty it. machine. They're sitting around here and I can, I could easily do that. Also, the Microsoft stores, I believe they have them up so you can play with them. Yeah. I just haven't gotten around to it. I don't need to, I don't need to play with it to know that I want it. Yeah. yeah. I want to start building apps for it. There's some ideas that I have for it uh, that I I need to spend some time with it. Definitely. All right. Well, I have some ideas for the uh, Surface Dial. That little new it's exactly what I was like dial. Yeah. That's what I want to do. I want to. I want to. I want to make that the developer's best friend. Well, do it. Do it. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> we have. Uh, we have. I have put in an order for a couple of them. Good. Uh, but they're, I don't know if they're in back order or they just don't ship till the middle of uh, December. But when they arrive, expect extension galore to happen with the dial. Yeah, I bet. So, Mads, my address is 302 State Street, <laughs> Suite 513, New London, Connecticut, 06320. I'll definitely help you out with the development there. Awesome. All right. Um, let's get back to this because there's so many good things in here. So much good stuff. We were just talking about the package installer. Um, how about the JavaScript snippet pack? 
Uh, the JavaScript snippet pack is just one of those things that I think we should just build it into Visual Studio. That's what it sounds like. All these things should just be built in. Yeah, that. that uh, it's a good not, question. It's not. It's not as well. It's not actually as simple as it sounds. So when I say that, you know, or when you say, "Oh, this is such a good thing that is just such a common tool that everyone will love it," it should be built in. That may seem like the right thing to do, but it might not necessarily be the right thing to do for various reasons. One could mm. be who who's going to do it, right? So if if whatever team should should build this into Visual Studio, well, what other features should they not do? Right? You can't do whatever they're doing right now plus this. You have to take something out of their backlog to put this in. Yeah. Um so that's one aspect and um and that's a, that's the danger when I do extensions is that why should the product teams in Visual Studio work on something that's available for free. True. It's a hard sell. Yeah, you're right. Another aspect is some of these extensions are sort of relying on community updates like the NPM task runner mm. um, or the Webpack task runner for that matter, where we have to be able to react really quickly and having a community to help out with pull requests and issues that they find and so on is really, really helpful and we can react uh, like within an hour to certain things, to new things coming out, like mm. Yarn was released, and all of a sudden, a couple of days later, we have Yarn support in the NPM task runner, yeah. and that's something that the Visual Studio team cannot do, right? There are other priorities that are that's you know they have their backlogs and so on. Sure, so, understand. But the JavaScript snippet pack is you know it's just snippets. So <laughs> these are little. You could think of them like um, oh, you know, what are the the things that you always see in like in word for windows made them really popular. They just a couple of letters, like a shortcut you do a couple of letters, hit tab and it fills in with a, with some code. It's productivity enhancers yeah. in the uh, simplest form. And with 150,000 downloads, almost it's uh I was very surprised by that number that so many people want that. So maybe, maybe yeah. uh, the JavaScript team will, will build them in uh, maybe some of them, maybe all of them. I don't know. Mm. And does it work with TypeScript too? No, it does not. Not yet, at least. Uh, <laughs> so I have an issue right now with all my snippet packs in that um, they seem not to work that well right now. They sometimes they, they seem to sometimes register in the Visual Studio and sometimes they don't. Hmm. And I can't figure out why that is. So I'm, I'm talking to the uh, snippet people in Visual Studio uh, on the Visual Studio platform team to figure out like why why is that happening? And um, so at some point it will come out and. Th- you know, I'll do a TypeScript one. So TypeScript snippets has actually not been possible ever hmm. before in Visual Studio until 2017. Uh, snippets was not supported. And why is that? I think they just didn't get around to it. You okay. know, there was a lot of things they had to do, and snippet was on the list somewhere, and it didn't hmm. make it above the cut line. So, but they got to it this this time around. So that's good. Um, you want to talk about the web accessibility checker? I guess it says the easiest way to perform accessibility checks on any ASP.NET web application. And by accessibility, do you mean uh, accessibility standards in terms of um, um, l- the, the different WCAG levels and things like that? That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually pretty sweet. Um, you install it, and then uh, whenever you run your... Uh, website in any browser there's a javascript that runs in the browser through browser link and looks for all the uh broken rules of accessibility and reports that back and because browser link knows what elements that are on the screen where they live in the source code 
the errors that come into the Visual Studio error list, you just double click them and they take you to the right place in your source. Wow. So that could be a C sharp racer thing that produced that markup in the browser and mm-hmm. it will take you there and say, Hey, this is what's wrong. The contrast is wrong or you're missing uh, a language attribute on the HTML element or whatever it might be. Um, so it really is one of those things where instead of having accessibility being an afterthought, yeah. which it almost always is. Sure. Uh, let's, let's bring it in so that it's part of your workflow. You fix it while you develop your app. So it doesn't actually take any time. Um, it's not something you run afterwards and then you have to, you know, you have to, um, convince your manager that accessibility is a thing or, or maybe you get your, uh, your customer saying, Hey, this is not accessible. And then you have to build them more or they, you know, work more to retroactively, uh, fix the accessibility issues. Here is here in this case, we just basically bring that into your normal web development workflow so that it doesn't become a hassle. Um, right. I think that's really, really important because even though it might not be like the full on super duper checker of, of all the rules that the W3C and other, uh, others like them have defined. Yeah. It will probably find the 80% case, right? It will find the 80% case and you can very easily deal with that so that when you, uh, deploy your app, you can be relatively confident that you have the right area roles, uh, the area uh, landmark roles and, uh, and other things like that that is easily, uh, being caught by this tool. So, uh, it's just a confidence thing. It's a, it's a workflow productivity thing that gives you confidence. And is it, is running every time you check in code? How, I mean, when does it normally run? So by default, it just runs whenever your browser has your project loaded. Right. So every time you're looking at the page, it's poking at you about violating these rules. (laughs) And if you hit F5 in the browser to update the browser, it runs again. Good. Nice. Yeah. You can turn it off so that it doesn't run automatically on page load, but only when you manually invoke it. So there's a button that says run in all browsers and it will take all the browsers that you have open that points to your project. Mm -hmm. It will run the accessibility in all those browsers and it will report back in the error list what errors it found. And of course, it will dedupe everything so you only get one of each error. Nice. We did do a show with Aaron Gustafson back in the beginning of November this year and uh, talking a lot about web accessibility. And I mean, one thing that I saw was just an overwhelming number of tools uh, that you try and incorporate in your workflow for this kind of checking. But I like the way you're doing this because... It, then it's always there. It's just always reminding me, did you think about this? So that you you don't go down a path of completing a design on a page, being real happy with it, and then find out that it's violating accessibility. No, exactly. When I look at all the other tools, if you go to the W3C accessibility site, yes. it will list a bunch of tools. I sent a pull request to add uh, this uh, extension on that list. I don't know if they accepted it. They might have. Uh, but the number of tools are just insane. And it's if you look at what people, mm. what people do for this sort of thing is that they use, uh, node modules to run as part of their build process that will have to spin up a browser. Well, if you use static HTML, it's fine. It can just look at the HTML. Right. But no one uses static HTML. You at least have some JavaScript DOM manipulation, probably. Yeah. Right. Most, most sites or applications have that. And so you need the running app. In, in a browser. It could be a headless browser like Phantom.js, and that's typically what those node modules will do. They will spin up Phantom.js, uh, load your app in there, and then figure out whether or not there are accessibility errors. And again, you have to bring in this massive tool chain, and Phantom.js is just huge. Yeah. And I think it does some 
it does a lot of like C++ bindings and weird stuff. So a lot of things going on and it takes a long time to install and it have to live in your project. And um, if, if you have that set up and it works for you, fine. But for yeah. a lot of people, that is just such a hassle for something that's supposed to be a productivity um, help, right? Or a, a workflow helper. Uh, there's not really anything there that helps you with the workflow. It's sort of like if you retroactively try to fit FX cup rules into an existing project, right? Yep. Uh, you just get thousands of errors and it's like, oh my God, I have to, you know, turn off all the rules and turn them on one by one so that yeah. I don't get uh, completely swamped. Well, this is the same of uh, with retrofitting anything. You try and retrofit in security, you try and retrofit in governance. Like it's a mistake. It's got to be done continuously. Right. Exactly. By the way, I did pull up the W3 list for uh, accessibility, and they're right at the bottom. Web accessibility Ooh. checker by Mads Christensen. You made the list, That's my friend. Awesome. Yes. There you that go. Is <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. That's good stuff. Hey, uh, continuing down this list of goodness that lives in the Web Extension Pack 2017. Uh, the web compiler, I'm sorry, the web's not supposed to be compiled. What are you up to now? Yeah, this is for, uh, <laughs> less and SAS. Right. And coffee script. Um, again, it's one of those things that if you have a less or SAS file, so, so less and SAS, those are supersets of CSS. Right. They can do more than CSS. Yes. But the browsers don't understand that extra stuff that they provide. So you have to compile your less and SAS into regular CSS that the browsers understand. Yeah. But wouldn't you normally just use the less compiler? Yeah. So you, you could use the less compiler, which is a node module. Yep. So that's pretty great. Uh, so you could set up Gulp uh, or Webpack or whatever it is that you'd like to do mm. in your Node.js toolchain. Right. Or if you don't want Node.js toolchain in your project, and it has to go in your project, by the way, um, then you can use this instead. Right. So it's an alternative to, uh, to the Node.js tool. And, and by the way, wow. um, SAS is also like, even though there are Node.js bindings, or sorry, Node.js, yeah, it is Node.js bindings for it because it's actually written in C++. Well, the original SAS compiler is written in Ruby, and then there is the, uh, uh, C++ native uh, port of that that's a little bit behind but that's sort of what the Node.js world is using and that's also what the web compiler here is using right uh, the web compiler is actually running all the node modules that you would use yourself nice. but it runs it behind the scenes so it's the exact same thing that happens it's the exact same tools the industry standard tools that are running uh, but they don't uh, you don't have node modules in your project Very you just great. have one compiler config.json file where you say, oh, here are my less files that I want to have to compi have compiled and minified the output and put over here. It's a very little simple uh, JSON file that you configure this from. I love and you it. don't even have to use that file, right? Because uh, you can just right-click a, a less file and say, compile this less file. And then it compiles it, right? Hmm. And then it, it stores it in that JSON file. So every time you make a modification to that less file from that point on, it compiles again and again and again. So... You get that really nice workflow where if you use Gulp, for instance, you would have to set up Gulp watch task to watch the file system for changes to less files to then kick off your less compiler task, you know, and then now you're dealing with JavaScript and node modules. And if you like that sort of stuff, that is great. Then this is not for you. Uh, yeah. But the cool thing is you can have, <laughs> you can have projects where, uh, you know, that are so simple that you don't care about having the node.js toolchain, then you can use this. And then you can have projects that 
do have those tool chains and then you don't use this. It's not like if you install it, then you know JS wouldn't work anymore. No. But I, I do like that you're using the standard compiler, but still letting me live in my happy little Visual Studio world mm. where I'm not jumping out to these other things. And along with that goes the syntax highlighting pack, right? So that if you are writing Clojure, Go, Jade, Swift, Ruby files, whatever, which is crazy <laughs> to think that you'd be writing those in Visual Studio, but you'll get the yeah. syntax highlighting. Well, people are. You'd be surprised. So I actually did something funny with the syntax highlighting patch. So the, let me just explain what it does. Visual Studio 2015 and 17 both natively understand TextMate bundles. And the TextMate bundle is a language definition that works in TextMate. But it also works in Sublime and Atom and Visual Studio Code and all sorts of editors. And, it, and that includes Visual Studio now. But Visual Studio 2015 didn't ship any TextMate bundles. Hmm. So that's what I'm doing in this extension is that I ship, um, looks like about I don't know, 60, 70, 50, 60. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you look at the folders, it's like, I think it's 60 or 70 almost, uh, different languages. And they're super small because they're usually just like a, 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 a an XML file that defines the language. Right. And some of them have snippets as well. And, um, I did a very interesting thing. Originally, I shipped it with like 30, I think 30 languages. Only. But I did something interesting. I, yeah. Uh, was that I added that w when you install the extension and you opened a file that had an extension that Visual Studio didn't know what to do with. So it would open it as plain text. You would basically just right. have, you know, black text on a white background. Yeah. It's like no, the notepad experience, right? Yeah. It would pop up a dialogue that said, Hey, anytime that you, Find, you know, you, you open a file that doesn't give you syntax highlighting. You can now just right click on that file and a new menu button shows up that says report missing language. And wow. a lot of people have clicked that button. And what happens is that it will open, uh, it will open the browser to the GitHub, uh, issue tracker, uh, where it already has pre filled in a new issue with like the missing language file extension, all this sort of thing. So you just go to this page. Everything is pre-filled out and you just click the create new issue button or OK button to create that issue. And so I ship, or not I ship, but I add probably five languages a week to that. Oh my gosh. How? How do you do that, Mads? Yeah, right. When do you sleep? <laughs> the hard work has already been done. So usually it's just someone has a already written the text made bundle somewhere right. for Visual Studio Code or for Sublime Text or something. And so, and they're all open source projects that are all like Apache or MIT licensed. So I just grab those and, and ship them as part of this extension pack. Um, so it's actually really, really simple. Now that goes hand in hand though with another extension I have called, uh, file icons. And, and you know how Visual Studio very often you have a file in Solution Explorer. Yep. That just as that default white icon, Visual Studio doesn't know what it is. Yeah. Right. What I do in file icons is that I map, uh, I think it's now 498 file extensions to icons. Wow. And so, uh, yeah. So I would say almost all languages you can think of, all special file types like resharper.settings was one that I just added uh, <laughs> very recently, right? It's very specific, very niche uh, file extension, but I want to have all those covered. And I did the same thing. If you right-click in Solution Explorer on a file that has no icon or that default white icon, Right. You can now say report missing icon. 
And it does that same thing where it goes to the issue tracker on GitHub. Everything is pre-filled in and you just click the OK button. And so I get a lot of requests from that as well. So if you take the syntax highlighting pack and the file icons extension, uh, you get a pretty comprehensive uh, suite of uh, language support and, and file support. Uh, that's just unprecedented in Vision Studio history. Yeah. Um, as I said, almost 70 languages uh, wow. and 500 icons, right? It's, it's really comprehensive. That's fantastic, Mads. Uh, yeah. Should we just mention, jumping back to the syntax highlighting, PHP? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> PHP and Visual Studio. Let's mention two things. Let's mention PHP and T4 templates sometimes. Right, right. Those are the two uh, things that I get most requests to add right. in that syntax highlighting pack. And, the, you know, I would love to add them. <laughs> um, there is no TextMate bundle that I've found for T4 templates. Those are the files that end with .tt. Yeah. Because I think it's traditionally is a, is a Visual Studio concept. And so there is, why would someone write a, a TextMate bundle language for Sublime for, for those file types? Right? I think that's the reason why it doesn't exist. Yeah. I would love, I have like on my issue tracker, I have uh, like a label called help wanted. Couldn't find, uh, couldn't find the text made bundle. I would love if someone wants to write one. I'll definitely include it. No problem. Mm. Uh, P so that's the, t that's the, that's the T4, right? It's that just ha doesn't have a text made bundle. There are a few languages like that, but that's the one that I get uh, a lot of requests for. Right. And I mean, I mean, there is a T4 editor out there that'll work with, I don't think they support 2017 yet, but it, works with 2015 and below for, for doing maintenance on templates, and it has syntax highlighting. Yeah, there is an extension out there that's pretty good at it. Yeah. And I do call that out in the readme file. Yeah. With the description that, hey, for text, for, for T4, go get this extension. Um, so uh, that was T4, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes languages don't exist uh, as text-made bundles. The other issue with is with PHP, and that's a completely separate issue. Uh, which is PHP is well-defined. There are plenty of text-made bundles out there of, of very high quality. The problem with PHP files, um, or no, the problem with Visual Studio is that PHP file starts with the uh, opening ankle bracket. Usually ankle bracket question mark PHP is how right. you start a PHP. So when you open a file like that in Visual Studio, um, before the whole text-made logic kicks in, or the mechanism in Visual Studio kicks in and says, oh, that's a text-made bundle. The first thing that happens is that it runs through all the editor factories to see if there's an existing editor in Visual Studio that wants to take this file type. Ah, that happens, oh, that's that smart. happens for any file that you open, okay? Yep. There's nothing specific to text-made here. It, but the, the thing about text-made is it only kicks in if no other editor wants the file. Then it says, okay, let me then ask text-made if there, there's a bundle that works for this file type. But hmm. unfortunately, the XML editor sees the open angle bracket as, oh, this is XML. <laughs> yeah. Oops. So Oops. I, I opened a bug on, on, on the TextMate team for Visual Studio 2017, and they said that they have fixed it. So th this should be fixed for 2017, so I'm going to try that out. I haven't tested it out yet, but um, hopefully that will just work. Yeah, yeah that's very good. Because that's one of those things that people just really want the PSP support and um, you know there is that extension out there by DevSense that's really really remarkably good it has full uh, debugging support um, uh, you know IntelliSense it's really really fantastic and I think there's a trial and then you can pay for the full version 
Right. And um, so that's the one I linked to saying, it. yeah, I know I can't do PHP, but go get it here. Um, but those are those are the two big ones, PHP and, and T4. Those are the ones that I get most requests for that I can't actually do anything about, unfortunately. Right. So what are the things you get requests for that you can do something about? What are you working on now if there's anything that you can disclose? Or even if you can't, why not? Ah. <laughs> 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 uh, like specific to the to the languages, yeah, or? yeah, or, or a new uh, maybe a new uh, extension that you're working on. Oh, am I working on a new one right now? I've just released like three new ones this week. Um, sure, because why not, right? Because you were bored. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's on your list of? I really ought to look into that. Besides, you know, these other ones that we already talked right. about. So I'm looking at my one road right now. I have like a page for extension ideas, oh, man. which is a. a list of like checkboxes uh and i see i got like 15 of them unchecked and like 30 of them checked <laughs> but uh, let's see here there are various things the, the one that comes to mind is actually not one that is it's one that i already wrote that i want to build into visual studio mm-hmm. this is the one that's called client side library installer okay is that not on the web extension Pack? no i, I don't think s- it's not i don't see that okay i should add it <clears throat> Uh, it's a sort of an experiment. It's a prototype. It's a proof of concept. It's the idea of how, what is the best way to get to use jQuery and Bootstrap and any JavaScript or CSS library. What's the best way to get them into your project? Right. So right now you have a couple of options, right? You have NPM, Bower, NuGet. Well, NuGet doesn't work for ASP.NET Core to bring in client-side packages. It cannot, it doesn't bring content into the project. So that doesn't work. So we yeah. can take NuGet out, at least for the HBNet core aspect. Um, but let's just look at the three of them. They have major issues, all of them. Um, let's just take NuGet. Let's say NuGet works. If you have a web forms app, NuGet works. That's what you probably use today to bring in jQuery. Now, it insists to put jQuery.js into a folder called scripts. Right. In the root of your project. It doesn't matter if you don't want a folder called scripts, if you want to call it something else. It doesn't matter if you want, uh, if you only want jQuery.min.js and you don't want anything else. It will give you exactly what the package owner thinks he should give you and put it exactly where the package owner thinks it should be placed, in this case, into the scripts folder. Right. That's the problem with NuGet. Well, one problem with NuGet. If you take Bower and NPM, usually... If you take jQuery, that's usually the same content that's shipped in both Bower and NPM, which is around 155 files. Because you don't just get jQuery.min.js, which is the only file, by the way, that you care about in this case. That's true. Uh, You also get all the source files. You get like benchmark tests and documentation and samples and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it puts it in a node modules folder if you use NPM. Hmm. Why do you want a node modules folder to host jQuery.min.js? It should go in my JS folder under the lip, like JS slash lib. Right. For instance, maybe that's where I want it to be. So, and Bauer has another issue is, well, I can't change it. I can't change the install directory to be JS slash lib. But then it will create a folder called jQuery under there, and it will dump 150 files in there. Ah, ouch. So none, none of them actually gives me exactly what I want. I want to be able to right-click my JS last lib folder and say, add jQuery here. Yeah. Right? That's sort of what I want to do. And so 
I've created this client side client side library installer project to see if there was a way we could do it. And it turned out that there was. <laughs> and that's why I wrote the extension. <laughs> um, but it turns out that all the CDNs out there, or some of the CDNs, the content delivery networks, such as CDNJS and JSDeliver.com, they host almost 2,000 packages. All the client-side frameworks, JavaScript, CSS that you can think of are out there. And they come with an API. So I can query the API and say, okay, Give me, a, give me your, give me a dump of the entire API. That's a JSON file that says, here are all the packages that I know of. And what are the files that each of them contain? So now I can right click my JSSLib folder, say, add client side package. It pops up a dialog. I can search for jQuery. It will find jQuery. It will show me a list of files that is in that particular version of jQuery. It always defaults to the latest, but I can choose in the version selector what version I want. And it will show me what are the files, and it pre-selects the jQuery.min.js. Right, and I can just click OK, and that file is now put in my project. Nice. I can, if I want to, also create a manifest JSON file that works sort of like package.json or bower.json or packages.config, so that I can restore packages if I want to, those sort of things. Um, but anyway, so this is one of those things that I really want to build this into Visual Studio because I think it's going to take away the pain that so many people have when dealing with NuGet, NuGet doesn't have a lot of these pack. It doesn't have all the 2,000 packages that you might be interested in. Um, and it doesn't have the newest version all the time. It doesn't work for ASP.NET Core. So NuGet might not be the option for you. But you don't want the overhead that comes with NPM and Bower. So this is exactly where this would fit in. Right? Um, and uh, I hope that we're going to get it into an update. But uh, we'll see. It's one of those things where... We have to rewrite it all from scratch. My my proof of concept is not good enough. Our specs have, or my specs have, like evolved a lot since I started it. Um, so it has to be like a .NET Core package that can work as a standalone CLI tool. All those sort of things, and Visual Studio sits on top of it. And Visual Studio Code, you can imagine that we could do that something for that as well. Yeah, sure. VS VS for Mac and all that. Um, so um, I'm very very excited for that, and I hope that we get to it in an in update one or. Update two at the latest. Awesome. Mads, you're a dynamo. It's We're amazing. A, yeah, this is great stuff. And like I said before, you know, this, if you've been kicking the tires of Visual Studio 2017 and just waiting, waiting around to, to get it, this is a, the best reason. Oh, yeah. There's a, I think uh, 2017 is by far the best version of Visual Studio so far in terms of performance and the built in productivity features for C Sharp mm. in particular. Mm. There's now native support for editor config files, which is really nice. So you can, uh, so everyone on your team can have the same, you know, indentation, tabs versus spaces. All those settings can now yeah. follow the project. Uh, that's just such a huge, huge deal. And also for me as a open source person, you know, I want to make sure that in all the con uh, people contributing to my projects, we all follow the same code sty uh, style guidelines and so on. Yeah. So that's just. Oh man, I just love that we have that support now, and um, it's Great. fast. It's awesome. really fast. It installs in like no time, like ten minutes. Wow! And you got everything you need for web development. It's opening well, files. It's ten faster. minutes on your machine. <laughs> <laughs> Twenty well, minutes on my machine. It depends on how what what workloads and what components you want to sure. install, right? Yeah, sure. Well, this is great. Again, thank you very much for us uh, just dropping all this great stuff in our lap, and, and uh, I hope you keep at it, because we love it. 
Anytime. Yeah, I'm not going to stop anytime soon, that's for sure. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the MCC. Yes, I'm a, a time bomb.